0: I'm going to give you a few little cultural and historical extra bits that might help you if you do go away and read it. So firstly, being born blind meant to Jews in that context, in that historical environment, that meant someone had done something wrong somewhere. So you can sin as a fetus, they thought, or if your mum and dad sin when you're in utero, then you're complicit in that too. So they thought, a blind person, at best he's going to be pitied and looked down upon, but at worst he could be like despised by everyone and hated for being such an evil person. Fit, apparently, it was not disgusting back then. If you're spat upon by a respected person, then it's like, oh, the honour. So it's <laughs> tiny, that's gross, but still a bit weird. Um To be thrown out of the synagogue is the equivalent of what we would call cancelling someone now. Like, you're cancelled. Your family don't want to see you. Your friends don't want to associate with you. You lose your job. The best thing you can do if you've been thrown out of the synagogue is move to another town and hope that no one's ever heard of you, and just start all over again. So that's the real really like to throw someone out is is proper damaging. And then the Pharisees, like, why are they so upset that he healed someone on the Sabbath, on a Saturday? Basically, they they believed that the Messiah, the promised one from God who was going to save the Jews, that he would come. When the, when they fulfilled all the law, and they were like, doing all the right things, following all the right rules. So they were like, we're gonna follow all the right rules, everyone has to follow the right rules. Which isn't necessarily the worst perspective, but then they added to all of those rules. So one of the rules in the Old Testament was, honour the Sabbath and keep it holy. And they were like, that's great, let's add 39 extra rules to show us how we can honour the Sabbath. And those rules included, but we're not limited to, don't cut string, don't write all the two letters, like A, B, you can't do C, D, E, whatever. Don't do that. Don't build a fire. Don't put out a fire. Don't make mud. Don't annoy someone's eyes. And don't heal on the Sabbath. So those are three things that Jesus does for our Lord, based on the rules that they made up. So that's why they're so upset. They're like, we want the Messiah to come. Jesus is like, I have the Messiah. And I don't quite realize <laughs> that. So, this miracle happens, and they begin investigating, and it's kind of found to be legitimate. They prove again and again, he was born blind, now he can see. It's proven. But they respond, the Pharisees respond very differently, bless you, to the man who's born blind. I found, in my experience, which may not be everyone's experience, but I found the longer I've been a Christian, the more easy, as a blind person, the more easy it is to become like a Pharisee, and there might be a picture of a Pharisee there, <laughs> loving <Lovely. laughs> God, don't get great, who wants to hang out with them <laughs> i found the longer I've been a Christian the easier it is to become slightly jaded and slightly groggy and a bit like them. so when they encounter this miracle, the first thing they do is they analyse it, they were like they were so cynical and bitter that they wanted to analyse it, So they're obsessed with finding out how Jesus did it like how, why the murder did it and they asked him and they asked everyone how did this happen, how did this happen, and they're analysing and prove that it didn't happen. Now, I used to have a bit of a chip on my shoulder. I don't know where it came from, but I just was—I really thought that God didn't love me. So every time someone would say, "God loves you," you know, like people do sometimes randomly, or like Christians do, "God really loves you," I was like, "No, he doesn't." And when people would tell a story about how, you know, and then God said He loves me, or like. I was just like, mm-mm, and I'd analyse and pick it apart until like, I convinced myself that they just thought God said that to them. They didn't actually remember. I analysed it and picked it apart because I was spending on bitter basically, and that's what the Pharisees do. The second thing they did is they judged, uh, Jesus for living his faith differently. They were, they had this conviction to follow these rules. Jesus wasn't following those rules, so they were like, he's doing it wrong. They were really angry. And this, I know still people in the UK who think you can't worship God with an electric guitar in the room or with a drum kit. That's the way that it stands now. It's just like the tradition that I had is the way that everyone should worship. And I saw this when my grandfather moved in with us we brought him to church. And he told Dave Mitchell, who's was the leader of my church and sort of friends of his church, to his face, I don't like you because you're wearing jeans in church. And he doesn't like David, he didn't like David because he put his hands in his pockets when he preached. It's just really disrespectful. (laughs) Like, his tradition caused him to judge someone else. That's another thing that the Pharisees did in response to Miracle. The third thing was that they avoided the difficult question. Now for them, the difficult question is, what if Jesus literally healed this guy? They couldn't handle that. So instead, they're like, no, we're going to go and prove him wrong by talking to the parents over here. So they're just finding ways to avoid confronting the question, did Jesus actually heal someone? And what does that mean if he did? I have also used the avoidance technique. It's not surprising, we know it's not great, but I thought that it was quite holy to suppress things and not to grapple with them. So when my brother moved back home in lockdown, and we haven't lived together for a long time, and so we've grown into different people than we used to be, and he just did all this stuff that really annoyed me. And I was like, it's really heavy if you just suppress it. If you ball it up and avoid thinking about it, then it's gonna be really good. It was not really good one time. After like two weeks of having like 10 things a day where I was really annoyed at him, I eventually just exploded. <laughs> like just an absolute volcano rage at him and shouting for 20 minutes. And he was like, whoa, where did that come from? <laughs> And at that point, he kind of we talked for a little bit, and eventually he was like, "I didn't know you felt that way. Why didn't you tell me originally?" And I was like, "Because I thought it was holier to just ignore it and avoid it." That's what the Pharisees are doing. They're avoiding dealing with proper questions. It's actually really good for me to wrestle. That's what that's what I think the Bible encourages to wrestle with hard ideas.
1: Another thing they did was
0: manipulate people. So they attempted they attempted to go and like scare the parents into testifying against their son, basically, which is quite manipulative. And uh, and then the next time they're like, give glory to God. If you really love God, you'll tell the truth, which isn't what you've said so far. So they're trying to usurp their, their power. They're basically guilt-tripping people into doing what they want them to do, which happens in church sometimes too. People can guilt-trip you into signing up for stuff or to coming along and uh all sorts. And it, it's something that can happen. It's not great when it does... And then the last thing they did was insult Jesus and the not blind man and leave. And they, they that can happen too. Sadly, Christians are not immune from poor behaviour, and that can happen. But ultimately, what the Pharisees did is they left Jesus' presence, and that happens as well. That it like life's really hard, and sometimes when you've got a heart that becomes more and more hard and resilient, and sort of the stuff that Jesus says, the miracles around us bounce off and we just become a bit closed and then we leave. So I've come up with a fun acronym to help us remember what not to do, and it is a jammy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <but> avoid <laughs> no analyse, judge, avoid, manipulate, insult for the people who liked, like like five months. Um but essentially, when faced with a miracle, they rejected Jesus and they rejected the miracle. They were the Pharisees were just hooked on on the power. They got really they, they liked the power they had in society, and the respect that they kind of demanded. And it's a bit like Saruman in Lord of the Rings. They had good intentions at the start, wow. and then I mean, he's obviously evil there. But, um, <laughs> good intentions at the start, tried to solve it their own way, didn't go well. It's the same story. So just a kind of a warning. As I was writing this message, I was like, oh gosh, I've done all of these. The longer, um, the longer you've been a Christian, the harder it can be. To maintain a soft heart towards Jesus, and at the end, when when Jesus went and found the guy and talked to him for a little bit, he said, "I've come so that blind eyes can see and seeing eyes will become blind." What the Pharisees did was they were like, "We've seen everything, we know everything," and it got to the point where they just couldn't see the word of the trees. They couldn't see the Messiah from the heretic, and they just yeah, they lost it. They became blind basically through their own pride. It's not very really fun to be that yeah. person. It's not very really fun for non-Christians to be around you. A holier than thou person, no one wants to be with them. So if any of these things are ringing bells with you, like they did with me, a few little tips that I think might help you. Number one, you could try fasting. That's when you give up food. And to be honest, fasting is a bit of a mystery to me. I just, every time I do it, I just think, I'm hungry. This is probably spiritually good for me. But I've, I did find at one period in my life when I was fasting regularly, um, it kind of jump-started me a little bit spiritually, just maybe a bit more spiritually hungry than I was before. That's really good. Maybe book a retreat weekend away. Um, and just uh, go and hang out with some monks or somewhere where they pray a lot just to kind of kickstart you again. Revelation 2 verses 4 and 5 is, uh, says like you've forgotten your first love, come back and do the things you used to do. It's like going back to basics. Um, yeah. Spend time with new Christians. They're fun. They're excited. They like what they've discovered and it's all new. And so that's a great thing to do. Um, but yeah, try and try and have a soft heart and pray for that again. So that's what the Pharisees responded. That's how they responded when they came face to face with this miracle. But the, the blind guy who's then not blind, he had a very different experience. Uh, so first of all, he obeyed. So at, oh, that's what happens if you Google blind man. <laughs> this guy comes up. So there you go. Um, but the not blind man, not blind anymore guy, he was obedient to what Jesus told him to do. Jesus didn't heal him in the moment. He put mud on his face and said, off you go. Go and wash yourself and then you'll be healed. And he did. And obedience is a big key to growing in your faith. And um, I once, I was trying to get to this conference. I had to fly there. I needed $500. I was living in America. I needed $500. Didn't have it. And every day I felt like God said, give away $100. And I was like, that's not how saving up works, no thanks. And I refused, and I woke up every morning for four days, give money away, give give $100. I was like, no, no, no. And by day four, I was like, okay, I will, fine. And I gave the money away, and within three hours, someone came over and gave me $600. And I was like, oh, I could have saved myself four days of worrying. But obedience triggers something. It's It's mystical. It grows you, basically. The second thing he did was testify. He just straight up told the truth. He wasn't trying to spread the message of Jesus. He just told the truth. They kept saying, what happened? He goes, he put mud on my eyes and now I can see. Um, again and again and again, he says it. And uh, there's something about telling the truth. I've got this lovely friend called Michelle. He's not a Christian, but she's a wonderful friend. And she she'll ring me regularly and we'll have a chat and she'll ask how I'm doing. And we'll run through my work life, my mental health, physical health, family, relationships, everything. And it would honestly feel like a lie for me not to talk about my spiritual health. And so I do. Just being honest, and it's been really helpful. She doesn't. She doesn't hate it. She, I don't know how she feels about it, but she's not stopped being my friend. So it's just um, I found that being just truthful, not forcing an agenda on anyone, but just being truthful, has been a really helpful way for my faith to grow and for me to just share faith with other people in a normal way. Third thing, he was very honest about where he was at. So they said, "Where is this man?" I don't know. He said. And then later, they say, what do you think about them? Um, what do you think about him? And he said, he's a prophet. Now, Jesus wasn't a prophet. Jesus was the Messiah, the, the, like the promised man to save all the Jews. But this guy was really honest about what he understood at that point. And if you're a new Christian, or if you're an old Christian, or like anywhere in between, which hopefully should cover lots of us, or if you're just like early days exploring, like, I think I'm kind of moving towards Jesus, maybe, Um it's okay. It doesn't matter how much you know. That's not the most important thing. Jesus cares about your heart posture. And your heart posture, his, like the orientation of his perspective was towards telling the truth and kind of, he was like, I recognize there's power in that guy, so I think he must be a prophet. Jesus didn't care that he didn't have all the answers. He later went and found him. And I think this guy's only the second person in the book of John that Jesus goes, boy, I'm the Messiah too. So Jesus was excited by this guy's perspective, his like, the orientation of his heart and mind and everything was towards Jesus, even though he didn't know everything. So be honest about where you're at. Next, sense of humor. This guy was quite sassy. He had a sense of humor. I don't think, I'm sad to admit that I don't think this message is saying that you can be sassy and sarcastic to people who persecute you. I wish that were the case. Um, the rest of the New Testament encourages a more gracious attitude. But I just think it's good to have a sense of humor, to be a normal person, to have fun, have a laugh, don't take life so seriously. That's what we can learn from this guy. He believed in Jesus. He was transformed by this miracle that Jesus had done. And the curiosity and the wonder that he had overrode all of the social stigma that he was about to go through. And then lastly, he was aware this guy was aware that he was blind and that he needed help. The Pharisees were not aware that they needed help. They made themselves blind by pretending they needed everything, uh, by pretending they knew everything. There's this brilliant guy called Brennan Manning, who I think is in the next picture. And um, he was a monk for a bit and he worked with all these amazing Christian charities and he worked at serving the poor. He was a lifelong alcoholic and he relapsed regularly. And that served to remind him constantly of his need for Jesus. And he talks in one of his books about this time when he relapsed and he woke up surrounded by bottles and vomit, his own vomit, on a street in New York. And he woke up and this lady was walking past with her son and she went, oh, get away from him and moved her child over to the other side. And Brennan Manning said, I felt a rush of God's love in that moment. Just realizing God's saying, as God said to him, I love you as much now as I've ever loved you. I don't love you more when you're serving the poor and you're doing it all right. But that constant awareness of how much he needed Jesus was really helpful to keep him away from like a pharisaical heart. So the sexy acronym to remember this one is Othspa: Obey, testify, be honest about where you're at, sense of humor, believe in Jesus and be aware. So that wonderful, sassy, blind and then not blind man is a model of how we can respond to Jesus. So he had a pretty big day. He woke up blind and begging. And then there were some major consequences of meeting Jesus. He was healed, then interrogated. He rejoiced. He lost his employment. He couldn't beg anymore for money. He needed to, like, train in something. He received salvation. He was rejected. He was bullied. He got a new family in uh, the followers of Jesus. And basically, he learned that day that there were penalties and rewards to following Jesus. And over time, we can be worn down by the penalties and the difficulties and end up with a cynical heart like I did, like Saruman. And um, all this to say, as much as you can, keep a soft heart to Jesus and come back again and again to, to trying to humble yourself and remain soft towards Jesus, to his miracles, to his work in people's lives, and build in regular checks so that you don't go too far off-piste. And then also just to say, it's a story about miracles. So I want to pray for miracles and healing. Um, I don't know how it works. I've had people praying for healing for me lots. I got, <laughs> I went on a short-term mission trip got raging D and V and this guy at church (laughs) told everyone in the service in front of five hundred people said Ella's got a graphic illness and so they all knew exactly what he meant. So I had like thirty people text me, say, We're praying for you and at that point I just was spending a lot of time on the toilet and after after they started praying I then started vomiting. So I don't understand how healing works because I don't think I got healed by that one. But I find that the less I pray for healing, the more likely my heart is to be hard. So It would be amazing if we could pray later. If you are someone who needs or wants healing, let's do that. That's that. Question time. Love that there's question time. Don't know how it works. I forgot everything you told me. Sorry, (laughs) Dave.